And this morning, we have four, four different groups, and they each have an agenda. So we've got four groups, four agendas, and in contrast to the four groups, you have Jesus and his mission. Okay? And that's what we're going to look at, is, is uh, sort of the, the agendas of these four groups versus what's Jesus really about, and what does Jesus actually want to come and do with you? What's at stake here is this. Jesus has come to defeat the power of Satan, uh, to finish the power of, of sin and death, and to redeem people into God's new family. That's what it's about. And he's done that, folks, by taking your sin and mine and dying in our place on the cross so that we can be freed and forgiven and given new life. That's what it's all about. Jesus invites us into his salvation and his grace today, every day. And he invites you to make that decision today, if you haven't. That's the call for each of us this morning. And I want to look at how Mark sets this up as we think about what's at stake. What's that say is, is choosing to get it on the mission of Jesus or not. But what you've got here is, is two pairs of stories. So you've got one pair of stories right there. Imagine it, imagine it here. Off my right shoulder. You've got the crowds, okay? You've got crowds and you've got the evil spirits. And you've got, they both have agendas. They both have stuff they want to do. And that's contrasted with Jesus' uh, mission of discipleship, okay? So that's the first thing you've got going on. Then over here in the second pair of stories, You've got Jesus' family and the scribes from Jerusalem. They both have ideas of what Jesus is about and what they want to do. And that's contrasted with Jesus' mission of plundering Satan and rescuing us to God's family. Does that make sense? You've got four, four groups. You've got uh, the crowds. You've got the evil spirits. And then you've got uh, Jesus' family and Jerusalem scribes, you've got four different groups, there they are, and then you've got Jesus, and two moments that show us how Jesus uh, is speaking a different sort of mission than these four groups have in mind. Okay, that's the idea. The real kicker is, do you come at Jesus with an agenda, like one of these groups, or are you willing to submit to what Jesus wants to do in your life? Do you have something that you say, well, God, I'm willing to open myself to you if you will do this, this, and this? Or are you instead willing to say, Lord, I come just as I am. I need you. I need you. Will we allow him to transform us, as we've heard Scott share this morning? Allow him to uh, take control of your life? Or do you come with a sort of an agenda? Let's dive in. I'll show you how this works. So the first scene, we meet the crowds. It's more like a mob, isn't it? Look at uh, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 70. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. Jesus can't get away from them. This is the thing. They're from all over the place. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he tells the disciples, guys, we need a quick exit plan. You need to have the car running out back so we can get out of here. Because the idea is this crowd is basically going to squash him. Right? Like there's, They're like a riotous mob at this point. And uh, he's getting swarmed. And the point here is, is that this is not really great. Like, it's great in the sense that people are coming to Jesus and they, they want to figure out what's going on with him. Um, but what's not good is Jesus actually isn't able to do what he's come to do. And his primary mission, if you remember back in Mark 1, 14-15, is to preach the gospel. Just to preach the good news that God has come, his kingdom is here, and you can be saved and find his salvation his goodness and his life as you come and repent and believe. 
That's the good news. That's the mission. Is to get as many who will come to respond to that call. And with the crowd coming, he's not able to do that. These people have their own sort of agenda. And the agenda is, I'm here to get something out of Jesus. Right? It's a bit like treating Jesus kind of like a magic genie. You know? Um, God's just sort of there to grant my wishes. So I come and I say, well, Lord, there's this thing I need, and this thing I need, and this thing I need. Um, but they're not really interested in following you. They're not really interested in discipleship. Now, folks, Jesus loves to hear our requests. And he knows the things on our hearts. He knows those things. And he loves when we share that with him. And many of us, there's things we've been praying about for years and years and years. And those things are good. It's okay to do that. Um, but it's a bit like this. Imagine someone you really love, whether it's maybe a spouse or a parent or maybe your children or a good friend or someone. Someone you really, really love. Someone you really care about. And every time you get together, you just come with this kind of to-do list. Uh, you really love this person, but all you really do is you show up with this, this list of things that you want them to go do for you. Right? That's, that's pretty self-serving, wouldn't you say? It's not really reciprocal. It's not really a two-way street. It's not really a relationship, is it? It's just sort of asking this person to do something for you. It's kind of using them. And uh, that... That would be a very self-serving relationship. And to come to, come to God like that is a very sort of self-serving thing. And that's what these crowds are kind of doing. They're coming just with their own ideas. And uh, they're not really interested in what Jesus has to say. They're just kind of pressing him in. And uh, folks, a lot of people, I think, think that this is what kind of Christianity is about. It's, it's a sort of made-up God and, and you kind of make yourself feel better. Um, but that's not, that's not really what Jesus is about at all. Um, not only is, is Christianity grounded historically, the historicity of this really matters. Uh, but it's not, it's so different than simply, um, you know, this idea of just think positive thoughts and send out sort of good vibes to the universe, you know, somehow you'll sort of feel better and things go better. It's, it's really not that. For Jesus, what's at stake is rescuing you out of your sin and death. That's what that says. He loves you so much. He's going to give his life for you. That's what it's about. And so that is not coming with a self-serving agenda. That's coming and saying, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? So this first scene, this is the first group, is the crowds, and they've got sort of this self-serving, self-serving thing. But we also meet evil spirits. This is our second group. We've seen them before. They're kind of throughout Mark. They also have an agenda. Look at verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You're the Son of God. Yeah, and they're right, of course. But he strictly ordered them not to make him known. I just find it so confusing. I remember reading the Gospels as, as probably a youth or something. And I was like, Why is Jesus not. Why does that matter? Right? Like, it's true. He's true. He is the Son of God. So, what, why does it matter? Uh, there's two things. Like I said, first, they are speaking the truth. He is the Son of God, um, but they have their own agenda as well, it's the evil agenda. The agenda of the spirits is to reveal Jesus' identity in a way that will get him misunderstood. So the idea is, we're going we're gonna to tell everyone this is the Son of God, while they still have their own ideas in their heads of what that means, and we'll throw them off course. So Jesus silences them. Jesus is going to make himself known in his own way, 
and in his own time, and the greatest revelation of who he is is going to be on the cross. This is what God looks like. He'll let you kill him. And that's how much he loves you. So he'll take that on himself so you can live. That's what God does. That's what the Son of God does. And while the crowds aren't in a place to understand that, Jesus silences the unclean spirits. There's also this other thing that's going on, I think, though I don't think it's as important as the person, is the spirits kind of want to control him. There's something about using a person's full name that kind of gives the authority over that. You know, parents and kids, you know what this feels like? The parents use your full name. <laughs> it's a little bit of that. It reminds me also of uh, Ursula Le Guin's fantastic Earthsea novels. And in Earthsea, uh, part of her whole kind of world building is everyone has a true name and you don't share your true name with people. Because if, if they know your true name, they can control you. So you only share it with those closest to you. And it's a little bit of what's going on here. Uh, these demons are trying to manipulate Jesus and silences them, right? He'll be the his true character. Uh, they're not going to control him, and he's going to show who he is at the cross. He's the suffering servant of my sin that gives his life and the life of the world, right? So Jesus escapes the, the self-serving crowds, and he silences the evil agenda of the unclean spirits. And then in contrast to those, Mark shows us what Jesus is about. Starting in verse 13. Jesus reveals his mission. And it's the calling of the twelve that will begin in contrast to those two things. So Jesus leaves the sea and he goes up on a mountain so the scene changed, right? It tells you something's shifted. And when you read, when you hear Jesus goes up a mountain, if you're familiar with the Bible, um, that your ears should kind of perk up. Uh, where else have we met God on a mountain? And what's the sound like? And then he calls to him those who he desires, and he wants 12, verse 14. He names them apostles. Now, where else have we had 12 somethings out of mountain with God on top? What's this sound like? Sinai, right? It's Mount Sinai. Right? This is where God comes down. He's just rescued Israel out of Egypt. They've just been through the Red Sea, and now he's revealing who he is, and he's at Mount Sinai, and he comes down. It's very dramatic. And he calls Moses and the elders to come. And it's very scary. And they you know, only get so far. And all sorts of things happen. Eventually, Moses kind of goes. It's a whole adventure back in Exodus. The point is, Jesus is up on a mountain. He's calling 12 disciples now to himself. What do you think symbolically the 12 disciples are about? It's the 12 tribes, right? It's the 12. What's Jesus doing? He's reconstituting Israel. He's not re you know, repairing, he's not sort of <laughs> making in a new Israel per se. He's not replacing Israel. He's reconstituting it. And what he's saying is Israel, to be Israel, to be followers of God, is no longer bound up in your ethnicity or your circumcision or lack thereof or whether you follow the kosher diet. It's all about how you respond to Jesus. Israel is all about whether you're going to respond to this way. Absolutely incredible, folks. And Mark, if you're a Jew reading this, Mark knows you're getting that. He's up on a mountain, he's calling 12 to himself. What's he do? He's inviting them into his mission and into life with him, right? That's what being disciples is all about. Jesus is taking all those ancient hopes of Israel, bringing a remnant together and, and, and restoring his people, and he's starting to do it right now. That's what it's about. 
Now, what are the twelve to be about? Notice what, he, notice what he says to them, verse 14, or what he calls them to. He appointed twelve, he also named apostles, so they may be what? Two things. Be with him, and he might send them out. Send them out to preach or sent out. Folks, that's the very crux of Christian discipleship, right there. What's it mean to follow Jesus? What's it mean to be a Christian? Right there, Mark 3.14. We're called up to be with Jesus in faith and relationship. We're called to be with him. And we're called to be sent out by him, to join him in his mission. Uh, most recently, I had to renew my, my minister credentials. It gets to you every December. I sent out the email. I tried to be really quick, responded. And uh, you have to sign off on things. Like, you know, this is what you're going to do. This is what it's about. Don't do these things. You're going to hold these uh, code of conduct, whatnot, this sort of thing. And one of the main things that it says in terms of your primary calling as a minister, as a pastor, is uh, we're expecting that you are going to enjoy and cultivate a deep life with God. You need to have a good relationship with Jesus if you're going to do this job well. This is what it's about. And it's absolutely right, folks. You know, all, all the other things in my life, being a son, and being a husband, and being a father, uh, and then those things first, right? And then being a pastor and being, you know, a member in society and that sort of thing, being a citizen, being a person in the world in Canada. All of that stuff flows out of our relationship with Jesus. It's meant to. It's that our relationship with Jesus, folks, is meant to be the anchor point for everything else that goes on in our lives. And uh, that's why I think it's so good uh, that Jesus' agenda here is not just to kind of go around fixing people, which is what the crowds are after, right? But he's inviting us into a living participation with God. To be caught up in the life of God. To, to be with him. Be in a relationship with him. It's fantastic. And then the second thing, not only do you need to be with him, the second thing is you, uh, you, you get to join in on Jesus' mission. You get to Join in his work in the world, which is what? It's proclaiming, living out the kingdom, the gospel, sent to preach, sent to proclaim that God's come, as well as other things, as well as you know, healing and authority over uh, the evil spirits and whatnot. But look at the contrast, look at the contrast. So you've got the crowds who are self serving, they're squashing Jesus, right? The SF, the, the exit strategy plan notes, they hop on this boat, <laughs> sail over there as fast as they get if they need to, right? In contrast to the squashing, self-serving crowd and the spirits, the evil spirits who just want to kind of control him or malign him, Jesus' mission is about inviting you, inviting you, inviting me into a relationship with God. So different, right, than just being a genie or sort of going about doing, being controlled in some sort of weird way. It's all about entering into God's communion and love and joining in with him. Let me transform your life. So what's cool, I think, is all of our being, all the thing, all that you are, and all you're doing, it's all caught up there. And said, did you see that? They're called to be with them. That's all you're being. And then they're sent out. That's all you're That's all of life. All of who you are and all that you will do. Vocation, personality, your hobbies, your likes, your dislikes, all of that is caught up in the life of Jesus. It's fantastic. It's so cool. And the natural question as well is, <laughs> Are you up with Jesus on the mountain? Yeah. Are you with him? Are you being sent out by him? Does he anchor your life? Is he the source of your life? Is he, is he the one you look to for hope and for guidance? Is he, is he your city? Is he your hope? That's the first pair of contrasts. 
crowds of the spirits trying to intersect with Jesus, and rather than Jesus being used for our end, for we think we need, Jesus calls us up the mountain into his love and into his mission, and he calls us to salvation and grace and life. Beautiful contrast, right? Brilliant, Mark's Mark's This is what being with Jesus is all about. You can have a self-serving faith or a faith that is a living response to God and his calling upon your life. And we've heard that the doubts on this one, too. Uh, so what about you? What about you? Mark, Mark sort of leaves that hanging for you. Okay, that's the first person. Second person. Again, two different groups with ideas contrasting Jesus' mission. The first is Jesus' own family, and the second is the scribes from Jerusalem. Jesus' own family, very quickly. You would hope his family gets it, right? But you would hope that his family understands what's going on, what God's doing. It's simply not the case, folks. Um, when I was in college, one of my profs said, often it's our families that, uh, that so don't understand what's going on with their own faith and their own Christian life. And sometimes the the most difficult you'll experience is Christians in their own family. Because you love them so much, they just don't get it. And uh, some of you know what that's like. Some of you have lived that out where you had a hard time with family. You, know, you want to love them well and you want to see them come to the Lord. It's just so, you know, it's hard to have you that. You don't know what's going on. Folks, Jesus knows what that feels like. His own family didn't get what's going on. He knows what it's like to, uh, to be trying to you know, live out uh, what the Father's heart is for him and have very close family not, not get it. He knows what it's like. So you don't need to be a company that's you. His family thinks he's actually gone mad. And they go out in verse 21 to seize him. It's a great word. Guess when that word's used again? That garden gets enemy, right? It tells you something. Yeah, family's coming to get him. They don't have the best interests in mind. They want to they tone them down. And if you look at verse 20, verse 20, yeah, when the family heard about it, they can't even eat because this crowd surrounded them so much. Poor Jesus, he just like, give him a break, right? The family heard it, they went out to see some there saying he's out of his mind. So that's just great, right? They show up to bring him back home and straighten him out. This would be like your. You're off at university, your parents show up to come and bring you home because you've gone crazy or something, right? They don't like your friends, and they think you're, you think they think you've gone mad, so they come to bring you back and set you straight. I'd be back, at, back in the, you know, your old bedroom, kind of thing. That's what this is about. And then finally, the fourth group are the Jerusalem scribes. And notice the Jerusalem scribes. These are not your local dudes. This is like the guys from HQ. This is the brass one now. Uh, to, to shut Jesus down altogether. They don't like it. And, uh, so in verse 22, they say, he's possessed by the Beelzebul, the prince of demons and cast out demons. It, interesting, no one's questioning that Jesus is doing the miracles. No one's saying, well, it wasn't true. It didn't actually happen. No one's saying that. They're trying to come up with some reason for why he can do stuff. So the best they come up with is that uh, he must be of the devil. Folks, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, witnessing miracles doesn't necessarily lead to faith. And some of us, I think, we, we might say, well, Jesus just did this. I just did this in my life, then I can do it. Not necessarily. That's not what the gospel show. In fact, uh, in John, Jesus said, you know, this twisted generation always looking for a sign. They just want the signs. They don't, they don't care about God. They just want something dramatic to happen. 
doesn't mean these insights aren't good, but, right? They're always signposts pointing, pointing to God. So the scribes, they see the miracles, but it doesn't produce anything. that. How does Jesus respond to this? Uh, right, you're saying the devil's empowering me to destroy the devil. <coughs> right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Perfect. And he responds with the logic, actually. Right? Satan's not going to try and cast out Satan because that's silly. That's <laughs> basically his response. Now, uh, I should probably speak to the unforgivable sin because uh, that can make people worried. That can be troublesome for people. And uh, I don't want you to leave this and be really worried about that. Look at verse 28. I'll be honest, I think when I was, when I was younger, I had no clue what this really meant. Verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men. Stop there. That's a really good promise, by the way. All sins will be forgiven the children of men. Any blasphemes they utter. Fantastic. Folks, there's forgiveness for you. Jesus' atonement on the cross is effective and complete and eternal, and it's for you. And if you embrace that and accept that, that is said and done, folks. You are forgiven. It's finished. It's good. Now live out in response to that. Live out a life of faith in response to that. It's good. However, that said, if, if a person persistently attributes to Satan what is accomplished by the power of God, uh, if a person is sort of making a, a flagrant, willful judgment that Jesus is evil, folks, you're not going to know God's forgiveness because you're rejecting the source of does that make sense? If you are just constantly saying, I don't, I don't ever want to receive this forgiveness at all, well, then you're, you're not. You're not opening yourself to that. This is essentially the, it's the sin of just never, never repenting, essentially. You can't experience salvation without repentance. Uh, but in short, folks, if, if you love and you follow Jesus, you can't commit this sin. Because you've already opened yourself to the Lord and Spirit in your life. So if you're a Christian, you're okay. This <laughs> long and If you're worried that you've committed the sin, that's a sign that you haven't. Right? Because you're already worried about what God would think about sin, which tells you you're open to God, which tells you you're not asking the Holy Spirit and His message of Jesus. Does that make sense? No? You can talk to me more about it later. That's, that's the gist of it. That's all I'm going to say. Let's, let's wrap this up. Summary of where we've been. The crowd has a self-seeking goal. The spirits have their evil goals. Jesus' family is looking down on him. They want to tone him down, bring him home. The scribes want to shut him up. Everyone has an angle. Everyone has an agenda. What's Jesus' mission in all this? What's he about? Two things. We saw already. First is he's calling people to himself. He's making a new people of God. Reconstituted Israel, right on the mountain. Not by ethnicity, but by devotion to Jesus. Folks, he invites you to that family as well. Look at verse... Uh, 21, 31, sorry, look at verse 31, get another picture of this. His mother and his brothers came, and they're standing where? They're outside. Well, they put themselves in. Put themselves in, folks. He's inside with the disciples, says, this is my true family. The brothers and sisters I have here in God, this is my family. Um, that doesn't mean he gives up on his family. In fact, most, many of his brothers and brothers and sisters will not will come to he doesn't give up on that, but there's a call here. Are you going to uh, respond to the invitation of Jesus? Be part of this apple. That's the first thing. 
And the second thing Jesus has come to do, the second part of his mission, is verse 27. Jesus has come to bind the strong man. He gives us a little parable, right? You can't go in and steal from a great big burly guy and try and take his stuff unless you tie up the big burly guy and then you can ransack his house, right? And his point there, he's talking about Satan and his house being divided. The point is Satan's the strong man. Jesus is the stronger man. And he's saying, I've come to bind the strong man. Satan has no more power here, and now I'm going to ransack Satan's kingdom for his plunder. That's what the plunder is. It's not a what, it's a who. It's you and me. It's you and me. Jesus has come to bind the enemy to rescue us back from the power of Satan to his own kingdom. That's what that's about. And uh, so this, this is the two the two parts of Jesus' mission. In contrast to the self-serving and the toning down and the we don't know what to deal with. And this is what Jesus says in response. I want to make him part of my new family. I want to make him part of God's people. And it's full of salvation and life and hope for you. And I've done that by defeating the power of the enemy, by taking on your sin, by destroying the effects of death, by going to the cross, by raising again a new life. And that's how you get in. That's how you can receive Christ's forgiveness. Folks, in closing, to wrap us up, four different agendas. The mission of Jesus in discipleship, to be with him, to respond to him, to live in him, and the mission of Jesus to bind him and bring us into his family and call us to himself. Folks, the question is, are you with the crowds and Jesus' family outside? With your agenda of life, whatever that might be? Or are you with the disciples on the mountain? Folks, Jesus is calling you from that mountaintop to come be with you. Have you responded to that, folks? And I encourage you to do that, to respond and to receive his life and his forgiveness and his salvation, folks. Inside the house, with the closest to God, who wants to make you part of his family. Folks, that's the call of the Christian life. And I go back to that verse 14. And live in loving intimacy with Jesus to be, to remain, to abide in Him, but also to go in loving action for Jesus, to be sent out to go, to respond to part of His mission. So, folks, today, as we head to prayer and then to the table, I encourage you to respond to Jesus' signs. Come up the mountain, come into the house, lay down your agenda. To receive the salvation, to repent and to believe. It's the call for all of us this morning, and I pray that you will respond to it. Folks, let's lay down our agendas and let's live up that call by being in Christ, being his disciples, and then living up to his mission at work and at school and in family, everywhere around us. Okay? Let's pray together.